Welcome to Tigers SRD with two hosts who always start on second. Chris Brown. Never-ending parade of mediocrity. And Roger Castillo. Roger, you live in Detroit. Hi, welcome to another episode of Tigers SRD here at MotorCityBangles.com and of course at the Tiger Money Report. I'm Rohel Kassong, I'm Chris Brown. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, and Stitchler, and also at Google Play. And I think we're on Amazon, too. Something, I got a notification about that yesterday. So now we are switching to, so if you do, hey, Amazon, or hey, Alexa, play Tigers SRD, you should be able to do that. If you don't, let me know, and I'll go complain. So <laughs> I want to uh, also thank all these. Uh, we have some new followers on both the Tiger Mother Reporter and our own personal accounts and at Tigers SRD. So thank you for following. Thank you for checking out the podcast. Appreciate it. And uh, getting closer to... The all-star break here is now it's July 2nd. I can't believe it's already July, Chris. It seems like this year's kind of flown by. Yeah, it's it's wild. I uh I was thinking that that myself, like it's almost uh, Independence Day. Yeah, which is you know, to me one of those days where and I know Chris been talking about this in our Slack channel, uh about fireworks and four dogs and everything. And I don't mind fireworks to a certain extent. I just don't understand the random hours at night kind of thing. Let me let me correct it. I I like fireworks on Fourth of July. Every other time, forget about it. I mean, I just I think it's just obnoxious sometimes, especially when you have that person who you know, you have that neighbor around the block who bought like five hundred dollars worth, and they're just gonna oh I'm just gonna keep blowing them off randomly. You know, two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, cool. Yeah. You know, like and just I don't. I, if you like fireworks, just like Fourth of July, and that's it. Bottle rockets, timeless. My dad used to. My dad was so crazy sometimes. He would take it, he would use him, he would put a bottle rocket in his hand and then just launch it like that. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, he'd tell us, well, you guys should use a bottle. Oh, well, what about you? <laughs> I'm a trained professional. Okay. I, I remember, I've never been, there's certain things that I don't fit, certain archetypes uh, for a male, if you will. I've never cared much about cars or loud noises or guns or fireworks. Oh, am I muted? No, I heard you. Yeah. I've muted you somehow. Oh, okay. How did I do that? Oh. World. You hear me now? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Sorry about that. Okay, what were you saying, though, about the fireworks? Were you, were you able to hear me? A little bit, and then you cut out. Oh. Um. I was just saying, I've never been into like loud noises and cars and guns and fireworks and stuff like that. I do remember one time my friend had a bunch of like just classic little, I don't know what you call them, little firecrackers. And we would be putting them in eggs and throwing them and try to get them to blow up in the air. And one blew up right in my hand. I was like, oh, that's no good. I'm done with that. Uh, and it stung. And I think I've probably mentioned this before, but the strangest thing that's uh, one of the strangest things ever, I was in Amsterdam at the Anne Frank Museum. You know, this solemn, <laughs> you know, Holocaust uh, memorial, basically. And you, you go through it and you see a, where Anne Frank was hiding and all this information about her. And then I came down and there was this weird, like, five-minute video about the dangers of fireworks as I'm leaving the Anne Frank Museum. <laughs> and, I like, I thought it had to be some sort of, like, strange art project where they just wanted to get people's reactions because it was the most dissonant thing i can remember like i don't know if fireworks were a huge problem for the dutch 
but uh in any event yeah i don't uh i've never been a big fireworks guy they do some stuff out on the lakes out here that's kind of cool but uh yeah i mean i i get it when people are drunk they want to see lights and hear loud noises but it does kind of feel odd when it's like in the middle of the day yeah, especially too the the biggest thing I don't understand about fireworks sometimes in the middle of the day or even like the random two or three o'clock in the morning kind of thing is that people don't consider people who have served in the military or animals. And I know humans are selfish creatures as it stands, and I understand that people probably won't consider that, but it's just I feel bad for the veterans and I feel bad for people who are dog owners because my old dog Dante he was Dante mm-hmm. was so bad to the point where you'd have to bury himself under something. So. For example, he actually broke our bed. A few, uh, this was a while back when we first got him back, mm-hmm. and he broke the bed because he was trying to get himself under. He was so freaked out by it. We had to get one of those like thunder jackets, but that that didn't even work either. So, yeah, no, it, it sucks. I know a dog people. I have a dog, and and he doesn't like loud noises. And yeah, it's it's just I don't know. It's a strange thing. Got to celebrate though, and then of course you know you go to the city, and uh, they might be firing guns in the air. And those bullets do come down and hit people. That's what happens. So, I don't know. Just be smart on the 4th yeah, of July. Yeah. All our listeners who like to go out and shoot guns in the air, I know there are many of you. Did you do that? I, hey, I, mean, I really don't. Man. I was just joking. I have no idea. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. We're both kind of burnt today. Yes. Very uh, we're very crisp. We, uh, we made the decision to drive to Erie to catch a game, which was fun. There's a little bit of about an hour rain delay in the middle, which means we were le- we left Erie around 11 p.m. I believe, and we drove home. So we rolled into your house at 3:30 in the morning, and I got home at 4:30 in the morning. <laughs> it was not ideal. Uh, we saw a good game at least. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't like you know one of those games where you got home runs from all the the stars and and. It was a you know relatively close game and some good performances, so that was nice. My first time ever going to Erie. Yeah, I forgot that it was your first time until you got there, and cause I thought for whatever reason you went there before. But it was, you know, the, the thing is, is that like it's first and foremost, Greg Gagne. 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 Greg Gagne. Greg Gagne. Greg Coleman. The entire staff over there at Erie. Thank you. It was a again. I wanted. I said it last time in the video uh, recap, but I want to thank him again. But yeah, I, I was gonna go out there for two nights, but then I, you know, I know you have Harrison at home, and I. So it was one of those things where I was like, well, I don't want to. I know we could do it, and mm-hmm. you know, not. I do Friday. I, had, I know I had some work I had to do, but at the same time, I was like, well, I always take a nap after work and everything, and it was worth seeing Wiley Green, who got two hits, and he got that nice uh, center field video that we were able to get and john valentine or valentine or valentine rather valentine valentine john valentine had a good game and you know you saw that john lester as well just hit a I mean, he crushed a three-run shot and mm. we got some good performances from uh, chavez fernander and it was good it was yep. worth going out there it was definitely worth going out there it's one of the experiences for me i don't know about you yeah, but i you know it was just to be able sit somewhere like that comfortably and just take it all in you know no, absolutely it was it was i don't know it's nice we got you know right right behind home plate good seats there weren't it wasn't too crowded i would say that definitely if, if i were to do it again i would want to stay for multiple days and stay out there and not leave at 11 at night <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> because, yeah, the is, yeah go ahead 
no it just it's 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 not a bad drive by any means it's just uh you know you don't want to be driving at three in the morning it's not like i was fine i made it home fine but you know, you worry about who else is out there on the road at three thirty in the morning what the hell's their story what are they doing they're not all coming back for baseball games yeah i mean it was you know, that's something that i think the next time we hopefully go out the year again before the year we'll, that we'll definitely plan ahead they go out for out there for two games too it's always good to get multiple yeah. games you know it's like for west michigan when we did that earlier this year it was good mm-hmm. but also it was just at the same time one of the things i liked about about the trip out there too is just the this facilities too like the, mm-hmm. the new uh, up upmc park upmc mm-hmm. park yeah it's really nice they've done a really good job and i didn't know what it was beforehand i knew it was literally before the upgrades but you could tell that a lot of time and consideration went into it too and and Gary Seawolves fans are just as hardcore as Whitecaps fans are. So it's uh, that part for sure. But def- definitely next time, I think it would be ideal just to go to a hotel room and then get batting practice and stuff like that. And kind of hopefully yeah. we saw Alan Trammell there again, which was another good omen for us because we saw Alan Trammell in Toledo. So now that's twice. Yeah. That, you know, get a chance to talk to him, though. There's a whole heck of a, a heck of a lot of Tigers brass there. I, I'm yeah. kidding. You, you would think that, I don't know. I mean, we're talking about like draft decision makers were there. I'm like, hey, guys, I guess there's no no what else to scout left now, and they probably, I think, essentially probably have their board all set up. This is the first year where the draft is, you know, been put in July, so I think they're used to the get it done by early to mid June. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of Tigers uh, heavy hitters there. Like you said, Tram was down in the dugout, which was kind of fun. The rest of them were right behind us. Yeah. Um, David Chad was literally five feet away from, or within five inches from me. Yeah. And then David Littlefield and I exchanged hellos. That was, that was, yeah, really, I was, I was like, hey, hey, hey. Like, hey Dave. Well, no, I mean, that's one of the things. You, you go to enough games and the people to see you and you say hello. And, and, you know, that's also one of the things that you, we tend to view these guys as just kind of, you know, oh, they're the, the brass. You know, they're just people when you're out there watching the game. They're like, hey, exactly. you know, they, they recognize you and you talk to them. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's a, it's a, it was a fun little road trip for us. We tried doing, uh, I just, I came up with the idea to like, hey, let's do one of those Twitter spaces things, which was uh, unique. We, we haven't done that before. I don't think we had more than one or two people joining us, which hurts the self-esteem. But uh, it was still kind of fun just to do a road trip and, and talk. And uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll, uh, probably do it again in the future maybe with a little bit more planning uh yeah instead instead of just like hey let's try this also thanks for the burrito you bought me a burrito and had it waiting for me that was nice yeah man like i'm, I'm about efficiency just going out there just go go boom yeah and we hit the road and we're able to yeah that was that was all the the nachos over there too as well solid nachos yes phenomenal nachos and so yeah, it was one of the things before we get to the podcast, too. The other part about the road trip that I appreciated was the fact that you go to these. It always seems like this happens in Ohio, too, where you go to those 24-hour gas stations. And it just seems like something out of a David Lynch movie. We have right <laughs> country music playing, and it's, yeah. it's really eerily quiet. And I don't I don't know. I just think it's a David, like it's a David Lynch movie. It was just because just some people, some, somebody walking out of the you don't see them a lot around here the the truck stop bathrooms with the shower and, and all that stuff that yeah yeah and those and they have a much more expansive you know they have clothing and they got weird random accessories you're like who would use this but then you realize truckers would and those are my favorite in, in towns though you're like uh what was it uh 
what was the one town that we were mentioning last night? Like uh, Abernathy, uh, Apple, Apple Cadabble. Yeah, I don't. You know, the first <laughs> we got into after we got on the Ohio border, we're like, what the hell are we? We're like, it's just yeah. like it doesn't seem. It just seems like, and I'm not even saying that because like we're from the you know from Detroit or anything like that, but just some of those the lo- the loves those truck stops. I don't know about the listeners, but when you go to one of those rust, uh, bathroom, or excuse me, one of those gas stations, it just seems like, wow, they sell this stuff. Like you, it, it's just it's such a expansive menu of things that are yeah, that you're not used to. It's basically like a tiny Meyer. <laughs> there yeah. was like you can go in there, like oh, fishing line. Ooh. <laughs> All right, pop tarts and yeah, it's, flares. Hey, you got flop, yeah. flares and pop tarts. There you go. Flares and radiator fluid and uh, sewing kit. Yeah, I. I don't know. It, it is kind of interesting. You drove most of the way. You drove all the way there. Ashtabula, that's where. Yeah, Ashtabula, um, yeah that's where it was. Uh, you drove all the way there and then like half of the way back and then I took over. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. That, uh, like I said, it's a baseball road trip. It's kind of fun. I, I would do that more often, you know, hit more. Hit, like you said, we, I think we passed the Lake County Stadium. It'd be kind of cool one, one day at the planet where we you do like a, a multi-day thing and hit a bunch of different stadiums. But yeah you know this is uh i don't know we've, we've stepped it up significantly this year going to games already you, you uh you've been shit you've been to all four of them this year right yeah you went to lakeland too so yeah just three for me which is uh one more than usual so i don't know baseball it's fun we're halfway through the season yeah we're, we're halfway through the season we're, we're going to talk about that the state of the tigers here in just a second but uh so some tiger news to get to back to back 14 to 13 back to back winning months of 14-13 baseball for the first time since 2016 as Tigers swept the Indians on Wednesday in a doubleheader for the first time. That first time they swept in a doubleheader since 1986 when the Tigers, or were Cleveland rather, was playing at the old Municipal Stadium. And, you know, it's just, and speaking of Cleveland as well, Wilson Ramos will be signed with Cleveland. I think it was yesterday he got accepted a minor league assignment. So, uh, Good move for them. Add some little more pop to the bats. And the other part about June that I enjoyed, and you and I have talked about this, was the Kielbazoo's month. And he put up a slash line of three, 348, and 348, 434, and 455. He had no home runs, which is fine. But the, the, the difference here, Chris, is something that you've, you've been talking about this quite a bit. In OPS plus of 145, he had... The first month, you know, the first two months of the season, April, you know, part of March, two walks and 29 strikeouts. In May, 14 walks, 17 strikeouts. In June, 10 walks and 13 strikeouts. That, and he had 30 total bases for the month of June. In May, I mean, people might hit 18, but mm-hmm. it's just, it's the patience that play. And, and then the reason why I say that, because who they're playing, who the White Tigers are playing tonight, they're playing the White Sox and Mercedes. Got sent down the triple A. You're in Mercedes. Yeah. Yeah. And those two rookies at the same time were lighting up the baseball storm. Yeah. I remember you wrote, you wrote an article about it. Like, hey, this is going to be fun to watch these two guys who are, are, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the difference. And one, the the big thing that that makes you so excited about Akil Badu is the very obvious ability to make adjustments. That uh, it basically, he, I don't think he's hit a home run since, since April, has he? Maybe one in early May. I'm looking, uh, yeah, one in May. No home runs in June, like you said. But that's because he has decided, like, to cut down his swing. It's it's kind of obvious. It's still, 
still plenty of gap power. He's, he had seven doubles in June. So he's still hitting it down the line into the gaps, but he's viewed himself, I guess, as a better overall player if he's not swinging for the fences, which is fine. I, and I think eventually what we'll see is that'll come back around where he can learn when he can really launch, you know? And uh, once he starts doing that, I, I mean, the sky's the limit for this kid. It's uh, it's really, as uh, my buddy Rob said, you know, it's nice for the Tigers to kind of stumble into one <laughs> for once, you know. Yeah. That was the one thing I wanted to do is turn around and ask, uh, ask Littlefield and Chad last night, all right, who who was it who, you know, pounded the table for Badu? That's all I want to know from those guys. But, uh, you know, I tried to stay professional and didn't do it. Yeah, especially because, like, David Chad looked like he just, he was eating his peanuts and he was just like quietly going about things. And they were talking quite a bit about different things, but I, like I said, you gotta be professional. So, all right. Anyway. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's go right into it a little bit. Also, we, in terms of MLB news, stuff like that, put it simply put, uh, what breaking news as we were reporting, Trevor Bauer is going to be put on leave and rightfully so. And in this guilty until proven innocent crap, there's just so much of it. Like it's just, it is what it is. If he, he honestly, I don't want to. I, I don't want people to debate with me or anything. The guy, guy's guilt. It's not even a guilty thing. There's evidence to support it. And yeah, I mean, you know, you know just do what they have to do. You know, exactly. Like it just, it's one of those things where, like, I understand that the argument, like, hey, you know, guy hasn't been convicted of anything yet. Why are we, you know, doing this in the court of public opinion? But there's no reason to have him play while this is pending. While any of the stuff, you know, this is that the stories were really ugly and gross. And there's pictures and, you know, that, that Cheryl ring article, uh, you know, she's a lawyer was basically explaining that, that this woman has already was granted the injunction, you know, that the restraining order, which, and there's usually a really high, threshold for that to happen so you know the the state of california viewed trevor bauer as a threat to this woman and that's enough for me more than enough for me to say you know what dude you don't get to play baseball for a little bit until this is you know (laughs) figured out so yeah it's an ugly story it's been an ugly ugly week (laughs) for sexual assault in general i mean i don't mean to laugh that's one of the things that that tara always yells at me because when we you know, if we get in arguments, serious discussions, I kind of laugh while I'm talking just because I guess I would say I'm, uh, I don't know if incredulous is the word, but it's just like, it's hard to believe this stuff happens sometimes. And, uh, you know, you got Trevor Bauer out there and Bill Cosby getting released. And it's just not a great week for this sort of stuff. But I'm glad that the Dodgers did decide to put him on leave. And uh, I don't know. Hopefully the law takes care of the rest. Yeah, hopefully so. And I mean, David Roberts said that it's not on our hands, you know, quote, which is ridiculous. Passing the buck, dude. Come on, man. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, Trevor Bauer is a guy that we've talked about and complained about before. And, and I don't think anybody's terribly shocked that this happened, which is uh, maybe that's on us for not being checked, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, uh, that was one thing we, we didn't like about that, that Cheryl uh, ring article was like, Hey, you know, blaming the baseball media for, for not doing more. Uh, I, I don't really know what, you know, 
want to get into that, but it's just yeah, weird. Yeah. Like, there's what what more can we do? You know, the Dodgers gave the dude hundred million dollars or whatever, forty million a year. So, yeah, just again, it's just something that I mean, I don't really, I don't, know. I, I I read it, I've seen enough of it, move on. You know, like there's there's plenty of things to talk about with Tigers baseball that make want to make up for it. So, mm-hmm. and. Besides, I mean, we're, we're celebrating something here that has not happened in a long time, winning baseball. And so it's just, if you want to read about it, I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff for it. So, and that's not what you came here for. And that's, uh, mm-hmm. quite frankly, it's just the whole thing's disgusting and he's a, he's a dick. There you go. That's my, my yeah. whole thing on it. It's yeah. time for my Hellier and Chris to go inside the numbers. Fire! All right, so it is time for Inside the Numbers. Chris, what is your number for this week? So my uh, Inside the Number is 867 and 7. So 867, that is Dylan Dingler's OPS at the AA level. Now, we saw him go 2 for 4 yesterday. Uh, no walks, no strikeouts, no extra base hits, really. he, he You know, what's interesting is, is we've had the discussion before internally with us and with Chip or whatever, and I, I would say, you know, I think he's probably a 40 or 45 hitter. Because there are times when I feel like he, he gives away at bats. He'll get down 0-2 or whatever and just kind of, you know, flail at a pitch. But his strikeout rate is down in double A. I mean, it's only, you know, 56 plate appearances or whatever. But he's, he seems to be another guy who's making adjustments where he's he's more than willing to take a pitch and just... <laughs> there it is. Just take a pitch and... Son of a bitch. Well, I, I apologize. But... Uh, yeah, he's he's more than willing to just take a pitch and serve it in the right field if he can't do damage against it. And so it, it's, I, I'm feeling more comfortable putting a 50 on the hit tool, but, you know, I'll give it more time. But in any event, that 867 OPS, I was curious. I think it's his, as for the season, it's higher than that because he was, you know, crushing home runs left and right in, in high A. But I was curious how many catchers have posted an OPS of 850 or better in double A in their first full season, basically, after they were drafted. And the, the numbers I could find only went back to 2006, but the answer to that is seven. Dylan Dingler would be the eighth. And the other seven, the other seven are Mike Zanino, Kyle Schwarber, you know, catcher, okay, uh, Joey Bart, Ryan Jeffers, Matt Wieters, Jeff Clement, and Buster Posey. So those names kind of run the gamut <laughs> from uh, outcomes. Jeff Clement ended up being kind of an epic bust. Uh, and uh, Buster Posey's probably a Hall of Famer. So, you know, that's that's the company that Dylan Dingler's keeping right now. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's We were discussing, it was one of the things we were discussing on the, the ride home yesterday, because you have a lot, I think it was on the ride home, maybe it was the ride there. You have a lot of time on a road trip like that. We were discussing where Dingler would go in the, if the draft were held again. Yeah, that was a really good debate back and forth. And, uh, yeah, I think... I mean, honestly, given what he's done, he's probably a top 20, if not top 10, uh, top 15 pick. We were looking at the first catcher taken in last year's draft is Patrick Bailey by the Giants, and he's hitting 185 in high A, I think. So, yeah, what Dingler's doing, I mean, people realize this now. We've been, I think, uh, partially because we've been putting out a lot of clips. I don't, not to take too much credit, but what Dingler's doing is, is, is pretty special. So I was just trying to put some numbers to it. and. Uh, it's kind of a bummer that he he didn't get selected for the futures game, but uh, but there's you know, some other really good catchers out there in the, in the minor leagues. Yeah, uh, 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 Toronto Gabriel uh, Moreno, 
Yeah, he's doing a really good job too. Francisco Alvarez of the Mets, Adley Rutschman's having a great year. Yeah, that's in, and it's always tough in the futures game because they want to get players from every team, and uh, you get it. So yeah, I just wanted to, to give a shout to Dylan Diggler, who's uh, who's a top 100 prospect, and that's you know a, a pretty damn good draft pick for the Tigers there. Yeah, can't argue that. And again, it's almost to me, the Tigers for once got some luck on the draft side, yeah. and that's that's not a bad thing. My so my inside number this week is something that I've noticed, and I sent it to you earlier in the week, and it was still kind of again sample size stuff aside. That is seventy one point eight percent. That is the ground ball rate of Kyle Funkhauser, and I, I, you know, Chris, I know that it's probably the the better difference as his strikeout rate is also up eighteen point nine percent comparatively speaking to fourteen point eight last year, but it's the walks where you see the big difference. And the walks is 9.9 compared to speaking to 13.6 last year. And, you know, you look at the, the ERA is like, so, so is, is this sustainable? And right now his XERA is 3.35. So this is legit. This is something that he's, Al Funkhauser is becoming an effective reliever. And he's been coming up clutch. And you like to see the strikeouts more a little bit. I mean, if I'm going to be nitpicky about it, but at the same time, you know, and already in 419 pitches, he's only barreled up 2.6% of the pitches. That's it. Last year, and 319 pitches, he barreled up 5.2. Yeah, you know, I, I I was actually looking into that, too, because I remember you telling me that. I'm like, no, I'm not going to use this because I bet Raj will. And I was right. Uh, and it's a good number. Yeah, I had no idea until you told me that he has a ground ball rate over 70%. That's like turbo sinker or Zach Britton territory. And I was actually just looking. I'm going to try to see at what level or how often guys throw sinkers or you get ground balls at that rate. But basically I think, I think you touched on a couple things. I think Fetter probably helped Funkhauser. I don't know how, how the percentage of sinkers he threw last year, or maybe, you know, maybe it was all that, but basically he's throwing more strikes because he can trust that it's going to get pounded into the ground. It's, you know, it's not going to get, go flying out of the park so you know it kind of goes hands in hand or hand in hand he's throwing more strikes because he trusts that he's not going to get destroyed and the results are good and yeah that's another nice i mean he's a fourth round pick in what 2016 yeah um it's another nice turn of events here this year like you said you know relievers are very volatile we don't know i mean he could fall apart in the second half but right now he looks very much like a fourth solid member of the bullpen you know, they got they get Fulmer who's unfortunately hurt and Soto and Cisnero that that Hinch can really count on and we've seen other guys kind of go by the wayside I think Brian Garcia has kind of uh you know I, I would say he's worn out his welcome but he hasn't really performed terribly well and I think Daniel Norris has worn out his welcome really he's he's hardly ever pitching now it seems like only he basically only comes in in blowouts which is uh you know not what we were hoping heading into the year but yeah, yeah the funk, and, and, the funk man the funk man Funkman, um, Funkmaster Flex, Funkhauser. It's just to me, it's just a remarkable thing to see that this guy who was cut early in camp too, along with Bill Burroughs, has been able to be effective. And Brian Garcia, we talked about this last year. We're not trying to be crass about it, but at the same time, if you can't strike out anybody, you're you're shelf like. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's that's been my same argument with Matt Manning. Unfortunately, is is that he's missing bats at a like league low rate, and you know. 
I think that was kind of an issue, like you said, for Frankhauser last year. He, he's struggling to miss bats, and he's missing more now. So you give guys time. But, uh, yeah, Brian Garcia is going to need to figure out a way to get more strikeouts to be an effective reliever. You just you can't have that many. You know, there are only so many, what is it, the Alex Wilsons out there who could strike out like five per nine and still be effective because they get weak contact. I mean, Funkhauser is, what, seven per nine, which is still probably close to the bottom for relievers. But when you're getting such an elite ground ball rate, you can live with it. Yeah. And not to mention, too, I mean, you're looking at his slide. The, the, the biggest takeaway I took, I was like, so what is it about his mixes that's working well? And the answer is really he's using his sinker more. I mean, he's, he's engaged up to 46%. And what I, what I I take away from this, at least, is last year you saw him like kind of use a three-pick mix of a sinker, slider, and his four-seamer. But it seems now it's a sinker, slider, and then he'll throw the four-seamer just to keep people honest. And I think mm-hmm. that right there, Chris, is something that you you thought about this before, that pitching coaches are getting, and you talked about this with Houston. Yep. Go your two best pitches, and that's it, and let the rest follow. And that is, is as simple as it sounds, Chris. It's not as easy as it is. It's yeah. very easy to practice. Well, yeah, I think it, <laughs> I think you're right. I think there's, it's one of those weird things where there's, you know, you kind of have it beaten into you throughout your career as a pitcher. Like, Hey, you know, you got to mix all your pitches, got to keep guys off balance. And, and it's, it's, you know, a couple of years ago, the, like, like you said, the Astros and other teams were like, no, you know what? Just throw your good pitches. <laughs> Instead of trying to mix in your two bad pitches, just throw your two good pitches or your one good pitch. It's fine. Whatever pitch works for you, do it. And uh, yeah, I, mean, I think, Sometimes simplifying things helps. Sometimes, uh, you know, reworking the pitch makes help. But, uh, yeah, it's another sign that I think, like you said, that Fetter and Hensher are really having an impact on this team. Yeah. I mean, Slider last year, he was hitting two – batters were only hitting 200 against it last year. So what I think what happened is, is that, uh, at least, in, again, my uneducated opinion – or my uneducated – my only my opinion, my educated opinion, I would say, is that when you can throw your slider effectively, that allows your sinker which last year got beat up to, to a tune of batting 500 on it, it's now only being batting 229 against it. So that way it just sets up everything and it's sequencing and uh, for your commands, you know, when you set up your command. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, all right, that's my inside number this week. And we move on because we have a Charlie that is waiting. <laughs> the good. Oh, that's good. The bad. Oh, that's bad. And the ugly. Oh, All right, it's time for the good and the bad, the ugly this week. Chris, what is your good, bad, and ugly? All right, so for my good, I, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, you may already know this, but if you were to, to guess which team hit the most home runs in June, what would you say? Uh, I'm going to say it's an American League team. Well, there are two teams tied, one American, one National League team. Okay. Uh, I'm going to guess one of them is in the AL East. Correct. And is one being the Boston Red Sox? No, good guess though. Okay. Uh, it's it's actually Toronto is the one in the American League, but the one I'm going to talk about is in the National League. So that narrows it down for you if you want to guess uh, one more time, or maybe twice, know, whatever. Um, however, how many times you feel like guess? For and is it AL? Is it NL East team? A national not National League team. Not uh, not telling you any divisions. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to guess the Milwaukee Brewers. That's a good guess, but no, it is the San Francisco Giants. What? Who, yeah, I don't normally think of the Giants as a power hitting team. I don't, I don't think either. That's a yeah. Bombs, 
Yeah, so they had 118 home runs in June, uh, which, uh, and this is where we remind people again that the San Francisco Giants had the same record as the Tigers in 2017, the worst record in baseball. And right now they have the best record in baseball at 50 and 30, just ahead of the Dodgers and the Red Sox. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of wild what happens when you hire a good GM, huh? But uh, (laughs) anyway, so here's a, a list of the Giants with multiple homers in June. You got Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, and Brandon Belt, kind of the old standbys. And then there's Mike Strzemski, who was, you know, it's kind of their their new veteran, if you will. And then the rest, Stephen Duggar, Lamont Wade Jr., Wilmer Flores, Kurt Casale, Jason Vossler, Alex Dickerson, and Mike Talkman. Just a bunch of random dudes who fit what the Giants are trying to do. And, uh, like again, it's just crazy impressive what they've done. They're 20 games over 500. And this is just a couple years after being the worst team in baseball. So, yeah, hats off to what they're doing over there. I, I, I did not see this coming at all. No, no. I mean, like I said, when you said when I, I that was the last thing, uh, team I expected. I was thinking an NL East team or an NL East team. Yeah. That's impressive. Uh, so, my bad is Chris Bryant. And this is an interesting one because, of course, Bryant was really off to a, a strong start this year. Seemed to like his back back to his old self where, you know, I remember he's a former MVP winner. Uh, and he's heading into free agency, which I think, you know, makes it interesting to any Tigers fans. We haven't heard his name talked about much. Mostly fans are focusing on shortstops. But still, you got Chris Bryant, like I said, former MVP, could play third base, first base, outfield, good hitter. You know, he's going to be he's probably going to get paid a decent amount. And he could be a guy that Tigers could target potentially. But uh, in any event, yeah, <laughs> he hit just 114, 205, 241 in June which is not great. He hit three homers, but just nine hits for the month. And this is what I was looking at right before we started. His BABIP was just 120 for the month, which is extraordinarily low. It's 180 points lower than you would expect. Uh, so I was like, well, is he just not hitting the ball hard? And his exit velocity is down. It was only 86 in June. But uh, I'm not too terribly worried as long as he's not injured, which, of course, is always an issue with Chris Bryant. And I think he's got some mild injuries right now, but I would expect him to bounce back fairly soon. Uh, and yeah, maybe he'll be a tiger next year. Is he a back issues, right? Is that he has back issues, but I think his issue right now is like a wrist or something like that. I, I don't know. I haven't actually, or it's a side, I think, which I'm not sure which side, but I suppose you need both of them when you're playing baseball. Yeah. Do people have two sides or four sides? That's what, that's a good interest. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so that was my bad. And my ugly is the Arizona diamondbacks. They, uh, they just finished June by going three and twenty-four for the month. That is the that's tied for the third worst month by any team in the integration era since nineteen forty-seven. Uh, but here's the thing: they were just five and twenty-four in May. So to help with the math, the Arizona Diamondbacks are eight and forty-eight in their last fifty-six games. That is, uh, you know, the two thousand three Tigers probably the worst team that most of us will ever see in our lifetime. Hopefully they never lost 24 games in any month that year. Arizona has you done it twice. Our show. <laughs> Arizona did it twice in a row, twice in a row, 24 losses uh, in this 56 game stretch. It's the second tied for the second worst in major league baseball history. The 1916 Philadelphia Americans. I think that was who they were. Maybe the, no Philadelphia athletics. Uh, they went four and 52 once over a 56 game stretch. Uh, but the eight and forty-eight is tied with the two thousand twelve Astros and the two thousand two Tigers. Uh, 
Uh, so, yeah, just about as ugly as you could be, these Arizona Diamondbacks. They are locking up that first pick. Yeah, and I, and I honestly, if you're talking about tank jobs of all time, this is definitely a tank job of all time. Because even the expansion 1962 Mets, which were considered one of the worst teams of all time, mm-hmm. you're talking about 313 in the month of April, 9 and 17 May, June, they're 8 and 23, July, 6 and 23, and in August, 8 and 26, and then in September, there was 6 and 18. Yeah, so they, they lost more than 24 games once in that year. Yeah. Arizona Diamondbacks twice in a row. I don't know, and I like. I thought that they were trying, not necessarily trying to compete, but like I thought they were past their total teardown. So I don't know. I mean, I wonder how much longer Mike Hazen and those guys will will last there. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the YouTube channel Urinating Tree, which does like really spoofy uh, sports stuff, and the guy who runs it's fantastic. Got great great radio voice just so you know he does these uh he does on nhl baseball and he did one he did one on the tigers with michael jones and the tigers was really well but he did one on the diamondbacks a couple days ago it was fantastic and it just the, the ineptitude of how bad that organization is it's, it's astonishing so so my good this week is the rotation that the tigers are facing this week and that's at the chicago white Sox. and so the reason why i wanted to point this out is because they kind of have a rotation to has kind of like an old school feel to it chris because we know that in the grand scheme of things, wins are kind of like a thing that really don't matter. Yeah. What's, what's fascinating is the model of consistency from the White Sox rotation. Because the Tigers right now rotation has been such a mess with injuries. You look at the White Sox rotation, they have five starters who have six or more wins. That's impressive. Uh, they have a they have the best ERA among team ERA among starters at 3.0, excuse me, uh, team ERA of... 3.32, and this, I'm, I'm sorry, they have the second best. The Mets have the the best ERA among, but they have the best war, I should say. Sorry, the White Sox have the best war among any starting staff at 10.2. Next closest is the Mets at 9.3. So, to me, it's just going out there having five guys like that that can shove. That's going to help you make a difference, especially a team like Cleveland who is chasing you. But Cleveland doesn't have the offensive firepower to keep up with them, but they do have pitching. So, uh, again, the White Sox, it, it, this is going to be a good test for the Tigers. The Tigers can even get a, one or two. If they win the series, that'd be great. But honestly, it's just, it's it's tall, tall, tall order to ask. Nicholas mm-hmm. Ronon has been outstanding. He's got K per nine of 13.12. Not bad. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's got one no-hitter this year and almost had another, I think. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think... Uh, that's one of the things I keep thinking of. You know, we think about Scoobal and Mize leading this young, in Turnbull, I guess, leading this young pitching staff. And then I think of the White Sox with Giolito. And I, I don't know if I think Rodon is just on a one year deal, but they still have Cease. They still have Kopech. And then they also have all those offensive guys. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, we still got a way to go. But, uh, you know, maybe it'll get feel closer once Torque and Green and Dingler come up, you know, presumably next year. Yeah, you you would hope so. And then one of the, one of the things too that I, I find interesting is that you look at what the Tigers are able to do batting wise, because that's where unfortunately leads to my bad. And they, in terms of an offensive standpoint, right now, have in terms of Baseball Reference right now, mm-hmm. or excuse me, Fangraphs, have a two point seven WAR. Next closest is the Pirates at two three point eight. So yeah. what the Tigers are able to do. 
with the with injuries and their offense right now, you're you're looking at a team right that doesn't have a lot of in terms of high home run power. You're looking at it's, I mean, compared to being the Pittsburgh, I mean, they have ISO 151 compared to Pittsburgh 123, but able to do that and, and and have the ability to stay competitive despite the offensive limitations, kudos to them. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of it has been kind of who they've gotten rid of, who they're playing now compared to before. Yeah. I think the, the negative, like jo- Jacoby Jones was a big drain on the offense. Uh, Victor Reyes was a big drain. Miguel Cabrera has finally turned it around, so he's not a huge drain anymore. But yeah, a lot of I, I would bet that they're not last in war if you just go from May and, and June. Was, yeah, that's what I was going to tell you right now. Oh, all right. In terms of the reason why it's not even that bad is because in the month of June they had a war of three point seven, good for seventeenth overall in the league. By by getting to because I kind of figured that okay, well, what was the cause of the bad war? Well, you just mentioned Chris the, the bad players that dragged it down and they have, you know, what's funny, Chris, this is the first time. I mean, I think you would know this better than I would. This is the first time in a long time. I haven't seen the Tigers in top five and K percentage for the month of June. They oh. seventh. So they're striking out at a 24, 24% clip, which is nowhere near first place, which is the Cubs who struck out at 29%. But here's another thing too. The walk rate, it's mm-hmm. hovering around ten percent. It's at nine point two. Yeah, they're <laughs> like it, it, we've been talking about it. They've been fun to watch. Yeah. They've been they're competing. They're playing solid baseball. They they you know they're not a juggernaut by any means, but it's like hey, this is this is not embarrassing anymore. And like you just pointed out, those are great numbers. So that I think twenty four percent is probably pretty close to league average for strikeouts uh, by team. When I was looking, that the Astros were, you know, eighteen point nine by far the best. I, I looked up all that for my my Scooble article, and uh, so twenty four is probably in the middle, and the ten percent walk rate might even be above average. So, uh, yeah, it, it's hard not to see the progress, and and hopefully it, it is actual progress and not just kind of a a, a positive blip. Yeah, and I, I think it is. I mean, you know, if you look at it this way, Chris, because that leads to my ugly, which is, ironically enough, the Kansas City Royals pitching staff for the month of June. As the Royals come off a month where they just, you saw a, they tried, every, I mean, the intrusive even starter-wise, they tried every single combination of starters. They have been injured. They have Danny Duffy, Jackson Quinar, Kyle Zimmer, Chris Bubinick. The rotation has been kind of in flux, too, just like the Tigers but they have not been able to generate the swings and misses. The only one you can talk about that's been doing any type of anything to keep them competitive is Mike Minor. But in mm-hmm. terms of even in terms of war, the all their, every starter except for yeah, every starter is minus is either minus or nowhere near one right now. They have no starting pitching right now. The Royals have been kind of in a offensive speaking are still struggling too, but they just have no pitching right now. And this is an organization that I admittedly thought that the, they were a little deeper than the Tigers in terms of organizational pitching because they have more pitchers. They had that draft in 2019, and they've been able to stack their system a little bit. But, Chris, it doesn't mean guaranteed results right now. No, yeah, and, and I think I was probably one of the people who thought that they were ahead of the Tigers in the rebuild, and they may still be. But, yeah, it looks like 
it looks like they're pitching their young pitchers might be solid, but not necessarily as uh, I don't know. The ceiling isn't there like we see with with mine, uh, Mize and definitely Scooble. And one thing I would, when I was searching for numbers earlier today, you mentioned Mike Miner. I saw that he he leads baseball in expected home runs this year among pitchers. He's only given up 15, but he should have given up 20.5 according to Statcast. Which uh, I don't know what that means. I think that you know he's pitching in in Kauffman Stadium, so that helps. But that's one of those they're expected home run things are always kind of fun to me. Like if you look, if Akil Badu played every one of his games in Kansas City, he'd have three home runs. But if he played all his games in Baltimore, he'd have 10. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you know, sometimes you're just a victim of circumstance. Yeah. And uh, it's to me, the, the one thing about the Royals, too, that I, I, I have to. Like Matheny was like, yeah, we're, we're getting close. It's like, hey, it's a little too early there, pal. Uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you've been one of the worst teams all month. Yeah. And I mean, even if you look at the the Tigers are in third place right now, which is, again, in June, in July third place i'll take it i'll take it i'll t- i'm not gonna and this is i know you got to get going here shortly chris but i no you know what it's all right uh yeah okay tara's tara's going to get the dog but uh yeah go ahead i was just gonna say the i'll edit that part later but That's my fine. my whole thing is this is that if you look at the able to have the ability to plug and play as the tigers have the tigers have just as been shorthanded as Kansas city has been if you if you really mm-hmm. think about it they have had Literally, I mean, Willie Pualto goes out there and and throws somewhat effectively on third mm-hmm. on Wednesday. And you're just thinking to yourself because I always like it's the cynical part of me does not I always just goes you know well uh, the other shoe is going to fall right now because also we've seen a lot of minor league baseball and the depth right now is still questionably thin. But I mean, Miguel, I mean, you know, the Pozo wasn't going to be the answer, obviously, but you see con- contributions from the likes of. Funk Hauser, we mentioned earlier. Also, Daz Cameron's been a nice surprise. But the one player that we I wanted to specifically end the podcast with is Jake, Rod- Jake Rogers. Jake Rogers, Chris, and we talked about this before. I thought he should have made the team beforehand, or I thought he had a good idea to make the team. Maybe he just needed to go down to Toledo one last time, which showed he did. And then he just comes out, and to me, he's just been a, a timely hitting. He's been grabbing the strikes, doing a good job of framing, which is what the Tigers desperately needed. And they have not really looked back on, and I'm okay with a catcher who can give you the occasional single double to provide solid defense. And I know that framing might not matter sooner or later with the way things are with umpiring right now, but for right now, for what it's worth to have somebody like that, can you go, you know what? He's our defensive leader. Says something. Yeah. You know, it's, we we question quite often if Jake Rogers was, was any kind of part of this team based on, you know, getting passed up by Haas and Griner, uh, by multiple, <laughs> multiple, organiz- uh, you know, coaching staffs. But he, he's starting to do, like you said, he's starting to do what we kind of hoped, which is not necessarily, you know, he, he's a guy that you don't expect a ton of offense from. He's got offensive ability and whatever, whatever he does on offense is kind of gravy. You just want him to be the the, the good defensive uh, defensive catcher, and he's been doing that, and the offense has been fine. And you know, finding him and having Haas be solid too, yeah, that's a big thing. We 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 talked about the Tigers cutting out the guys who were a drain on the team. You know, Wilson Ramos was just a drain on the team. Unfortunately, he, he just couldn't catch anymore. It seemed like, and his offense went downhill after April. 
and Grayson Griner wasn't doing anything on offense. Uh, again, that's just who he is. I, you know, Jake Rogers is a guy who's, who's going to rock a 35 to 40% strikeout rate probably. And he might be able to punish mistakes, but as long as the rest of the team is performing well, and that's, that's one of the things like it's, it's hard to, to roster a Jake Rogers when you're, you know, got a WRC plus of 80 as a team. But when you're closer to average, you can afford to have a guy who's basically going to be a three true outcome guy at the plate uh, as long as he's providing plus defense. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's a positive development uh, there for sure. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, you look at his numbers in July and June, I mean, barely speaking of Eric Haas, Eric Haas had seven home runs, had a really good June. But they both, I mean, they're both striking. I mean, if we're being realistic, they both are striking out too much. Yeah. And, I mean, right now, in the month of June, Jake Rogers struck out 42%. But, yeah. but, he did walk close to 9%. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, he's going to walk out, well, a strikeout, he's going to walk, and when he puts the bat on the ball, he might hit it pretty far. And that's always who he was going to be. It's always who we expected. He just needed to, to get to the point where his defense was not I mean, that was, you know, he, he had this reputation as this great defender and he came up to the bigs and it was not really the case. And he, he's, you know, Hinch has challenged him and he's, I think, answered that challenge so far. He's, he's looking pretty good. So you can survive. Like, like yeah, I, I don't think these guys, either Haas or Rogers, like you said, are, are ideally your everyday catcher when you're trying to contend. But uh, maybe the Tigers have a guy like that in double A right now. Who knows? It's crazy. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, totally crazy. We saw him, you know, and, and even I will, I will take what Jake Rogers is doing. I mean, WRC plus a 117, you mentioned earlier, that that will work. That will work. And the Tigers right now, in terms of even, you look at the homegrown side of things, I was just talking to Dan Hasty about, before we get out of here, it was talking about the velocity increase last night across some of the, some of the pitchers across the system. Mm-hmm. Quietly, the Tigers, I mean, look at Chance Fernandez, for example. He was throwing... 91, 92, we saw West Michigan. We saw him last night. He was throwing 95, 96. No problem. Did you notice yeah. that? Well, it was interesting because in his first inning, he started out like 91, 92. It almost seemed like he was throwing a little bit, like taking a little bit off to begin the outing. I don't know if he was just getting warmed up, but maybe like zeroing in on the strike zone. And then, I don't know, 10, 15 pitches in, everything was 95, 96, 95, 96. And, yeah, it's – I, there's not a whole lot else there. It's a, uh, I know his his breaking ball doesn't break a whole lot. Well, <laughs> and I think the last pitch, though, so all of a sudden you saw that that last uh, was that slider he threw at the end. All of a sudden you're like, what the hell was that at? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's a really cool story for a guy who is you know late thirties thirtieth round draft pick, um, you know, out of the Bahamas or whatever, and then like a small school. So yeah, that, that's that's one of the things we talk about. You know, getting to the draft. The draft is uh, fewer than uh, it's like two weeks away. Is is you can feel a little wary about using high picks on pitchers because pitching development right now is so good across the the majors and minors. Not necessarily with the Tigers, but I think they're catching up there, where you can get guys later and and turn them into dudes if you you know what you're doing. And not to say that Fernandez a dude or anything like that, but yeah, it, it's it makes you a little bit wary of. of spending a high draft capital on arms when you might be able to find somebody in the eighth or 10th or 20th round. So yeah, I don't I mean, know, but... yeah, you're right though. I mean, Chris, right now they have a bunch of work arms right now 
that are all like 20 for lower rounder. The only, the only, the, the only time we haven't seen any progress right now is in Lakeland, but then it's hard to really gauge it unless we see more games. And I, I completely agree with James Chipman's uh, assessment about going to more games and what have you. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. So we did get one question. I haven't checked to see if we got any more. Uh, it doesn't look like it. K turret uh, said, is the infield shift on its way out? And if so, where is it going? Um, <laughs> I'm not really sure where that question comes from. Like, I, I don't know if he's, he's uh, I assume it's a he. Okay. I don't really know. Um, is referring to like the rules or if teams are just not doing it as much. But, you know, you can, you can check at Savant and see that league wide batters are being shifted in 30, 32% of plate appearances this year, which uh, is actually is down like 2% from last year. Let's see. Right-handed hitters are being shifted 17.7% of the time, and lefties are 52.9% of the time. Let's check last year. Of course, it was a, wasn't a full season. So last year, it was 34%. Right-handed hitters were 21.6%, and left-handed hitters were 50.8%. So I think, and there's been some studies to show this, that they found that shifting against right-handed hitters doesn't help you for some reason. It uh, I didn't dig into it too deeply but a bunch of the guys over at like baseball prospectus were like yeah why are you keep doing this it's not working it's not helping you it still helps with left-handed hitters but it's not uh and, and maybe it's just the nature of you know you know left-handed hitter pulls the ball into right field and uh, the second baseman is 30 feet behind the first baseman or 50 feet you could make that throw the right-handed hitter pulls the ball into left field the shortstop, you know, 50, 60 feet behind the third baseman, there's, he's out of luck. There's nothing you can do there. So I think that's part fact, of it. Maybe it comes from the fact, too, that we saw yesterday Alex, Alex Avila playing shortstop on a shift. Yeah. Maybe, that's yeah. where, maybe, maybe that's where it's coming from. Oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe. I, maybe. maybe. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think teams are going to stop shifting. I think the Tigers are one of the biggest shifters in baseball this year. They're very shifty. Uh, they were number two in shifts last year, and they're number four this year. Fifty-one or fifty-point-four last year. Let me see what this year is. Fifty. Oh, forty-one point seven. So they're shifting less this year. But again, it's it's shifting less on right-handed hitters. So, uh, yeah, I don't think teams are going to stop doing it. Will Major League Baseball force them to stop? I guess we'll see what happens uh, after all this sticky stuff. You know, if the offense goes up significantly from the sticky stuff, they feel like they don't have to force the issue. But it wouldn't shock me if we do get in the future the sort of like, hey, all four infielders have to be on the dirt or a certain number of infielders have to be on the side of the bag or not. Uh, but I can't say for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's to me, it, I think the one thing about all the shifting, I think the, the, the rules to make it more game more interesting, maybe that's why there's been talk about it and discussion back and forth about it. But to be honest with you, I'd just rather it be a case of, I don't like seeing that where it's like three, it's it, it just, okay, you know, it's automatic out, takes the fun away. Mm-hmm. But hopefully there's some sort of compromise that makes a lot of sense and make the game more entertaining versus the sticky stuff argument, which has been beaten to death with a dead horse. And, Last night, we saw Fernando get checked, by the way. After that slider yeah. he threw, that was funny, because then in the ups were like, where did that come from? You've been throwing number of fastballs. And... <laughs> so, yep. but uh, no, I again, it was one of those things where I think it 
Yeah, we did get um, one question that I actually I got a question offline, and that was the oh, in terms of uh, one, one of the questions was the in terms of the case of the farm system. We had this yesterday in our um, our chat Twitter Spaces, yeah, Twitter Spaces, and I thought it'd be a good one to share, Chris. It was it was talking about the the death of the minor league system right now, and the next picture that might come up. And you know, after seeing Fernander yesterday, and after seeing you know uh, K. Cole Coleshaw, and there were some others, and then you saw yesterday Adam Wolf. Adam Wolf, like yesterday, we'll have to go see him in person. But second straight start where he looked good. He had a no hitter going into the seventh inning, and maybe he might be somebody too. But I wanted to add that Chris because I mean we were talking about Guzman yesterday. We were talking about Monero, but maybe Adam Wolf, who we haven't really seen much of, at least not in person yet. And that's a that's a game that we should go check out, Chris, because you know he might be somebody that might come up too. Yeah, he's kind of an interesting. Uh... I, not, I don't know if I would call him like a post-hype prospect because he never really had a ton of hype. He was a fifth rounder, and then he came out and got destroyed in his first full season with West Michigan, low A, back in 2019. Then he blew out his arm. But, yeah, he's back, and he's at high A now. He, he, he started out in low A and pitched okay, and then he's up at high A, three starts, 2.95 ERA through three starts at high A. That's good progress. I mean, he's a little bit older, but as a lefty, I remember his his best pitch was a cutter, I believe, that he learned by watching videos about cutters online, uh, <laughs> which is, hey, whatever works. But, uh, yeah, if he can pitch well and, and find his way to double A, then I think you've got somebody worth talking about. He's a big lefty. There might be something there. Get him in the hands of hubs and, and better, and, and who knows? Uh, again, it's it's not, I mean, we're talking about, like, maybe a potential fifth starter at the most, but. Tigers need that. They need depth of arms in any capacity. We, we, I mean, we were, we were digging into Brendan White and Bo Brisky. We talked about Alvin Rodriguez and Carlos Guzman and Cater K- Montero. I don't think we mentioned Logan Shore, but I think he's a possibility at some point. Although he was injured, I think. So, yeah, the depth is pretty thin. Uh, and but as we were saying a minute ago, like pitching development, guys can take pretty significant leaps these days. So. Yeah. I know, it remains to be seen. I still think they're going to target pitching pretty heavily in the draft. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we do still have to put on milk carton missing in action for Hugh Smith, but I mean, uh, he's on the DL again. I think he's out for the year again. He was on sixty-eight DL quietly. Yeah. What about that? But you know, it, it's good to see Adam Wolf at least in terms of just for West Michigan. They need another starter to step up, and they're able to get that because they were rated by Erie pretty, pretty badly. So yeah, so. I'm curious uh, if. The Erie Seawolves have ever ever had a player with the last name Wolf. That's a good question. I it seems unlikely. Let me just go ahead and oh, maybe maybe Randy Wolf. Hey Randy. <laughs> you know, in, in terms of there's so much they can there's so much potential with a guy named Annie Adam Wolf at in Erie. I mean, there's so much of it that to me it, it it's something that you could definitely have a lot of fun with and and, and, to, and here's even for like for the, for the tigers purposes you know just i i hope i hope that they do at some point if he makes it into the majors that they they bring up he becomes something you know why because there's so much stuff you can do with it i don't want to hear about no uh. motherfucking ifs all i want to hear from your ass is you ain't got no problem jules i'm on the mother go back in there chill cavalry which should be coming directly you ain't got no problem, Jules. And wait for the wolf who should be coming directly. You sending the wolf? 
Don't you feel good? That's, That's all, all you had to say. say. No, it's funny. While I was looking, a baseball reference, you know, has a lot of fun stuff you can do in there. I was looking for players named Wolf, and I came across Chicken Wolf. Manager Chicken Wolf, who managed the 1889 Louisville Colonels to a 14 and 51 record. <laughs> and of course, Chicken was his nickname. His real name was William Van Winkle Wolf. I actually like William Van Winkle Wolf more. Yeah. That was more Pappas. Yeah, so. <laughs> Your face like, yeah. William Van Winkle. No, it's it, either way. It's a fun. It's just funny thinking somebody was named Chicken Wolf. That's like yeah. that old. Uh, no, it's Chicken and a Fox, right? The old uh, brain teaser where you have to get them across the, off across the river. There's a chicken and a fox and some grain or something like that. I don't know. Whatever. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. All right. Well, yeah. It's a, it's a. It's like a famous brain teaser where there's like a wolf on one side of the river, a chicken on one side, or a goose and some grain. And the goose will eat the grain, and the wolf will eat the chicken, and you have to get one to the other side or whatever without, you know. I'll send you. I'll find it and send it to you. I'm not okay. crazy. I swear. I, I, I believe you. I just have look at it. I'm like, I, I got nothing. So, uh, but next week, by the way, we'll be announcing what we're doing for the MLB draft party. MLB draft, not party, but we'll, what we're doing for the MLB draft. It's going to be tell you this much. It, the location is changing. But again, I cannot say anything until. Dot or dot some cross some T's, dot some I's, and all that stuff. So there's more news to come on that. It's a big, big announcement and something that I got, I got some confirmation from stuff yesterday. So again, cannot say anything more than that. We'll just just know that there's good things to come along for the podcast and just to really be recognized for some stuff. And uh, it's awesome. So can't wait to tell everybody about it. So you'll probably see some on the social media channels. The social media channels. That was a <laughs> joke yesterday. Oh, I know your college. social channels. Yeah. Yeah, your social channels. So whatever you listen to. But uh again, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. Back next week. Uper will be back. He is I think he's up in the UP. He's traveling today. Couldn't do a record last night, so we had it out. So Living up so to much. his name. Yeah, living up. Yeah, he's going back to his home roots and, and checking out. He's getting a cabin with his family, so it's pretty cool. And a happy 4th of July. Whatever you do, make sure you're safe. Make sure you have a good week. Weekend, party it up. Uh, if you're grilling, just be careful. Some idiot decided to post a... By the way, here's a here's a premise. If you're going to write for a website, don't tell people the grilling sucks because you, <laughs> sir, are just trying to write clickbait. Okay? Yep. Really, you can cook however you want. I hate these articles. They're like, grilling's just a bad thing. You're entitled to your opinion, and that's fine. But there's so much money made off grilling as an industry. Who cares? Does it really bother you that much? You got to write an article about grilling? He's wanting to clickbait? Oh, oh you, know, you wrote an article about Jonathan Scobie getting traded. Oh, he just hired Scott Boris. <laughs> Boom. Oh, did, he? did he? I didn't see that. Yeah, he hired Scott Boris as his agent. Oh, nice. So Hopefully he gets paid. Yeah, he gets paid. I want him to get paid. Mm-hmm. Do I want the Tigers to pay him? Yeah, not. Not particularly. I don't know. Not gonna happen. No. Anyway. So anyway, all right. So Chris sent the link. I'm gonna go look at this green and chicken and fox thing. And (laughs) back next week. Have a good weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.